Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. I really appreciate all that you're doing to get my book out, and Listen, Learn, and Love, Embracing LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. Writing a review on Amazon, um, Desert Book is the best thing you can do for me um, as far as and sharing that book with others. My guest on today's podcast is my friend Serena Jameson. Welcome to the podcast, Serena. Thank you very kindly. Um, Serena is calling in via Zoom. You're just seeing the audio, but I get to see Serena on my screen. She is calling in from Illinois, a suburb. She lives in the Chicago, a suburb of Chicago. She has been married for 20 years. This upcoming year has four children, is about 39, is a convert to the church, joined the church at about age 19. Serena came out in April of 2020 as a transgender woman um, on Facebook in a Facebook post, and we have been exchanging messages for the last month or two, and um, we just felt it was time for Serena to share her story on the podcast and to share her journey as a transgender Latter-day Saint. And the reason to do this is just to give hope and perspective to other transgender Latter-day Saints and help those of us that are cisgender better understand our transgender friends and how we can support them, how we can lift them up, how we can follow the example of Christ to help everybody feel like they're loved and belong. And so the best way I've learned how to learn about transgender people is to listen to transgender people. And the transgender people that have been on our podcast have been some of my heroes. And every story is a little different, and every journey is a little different. So I've learned hearing one story doesn't help, doesn't mean that I understand everybody's story. So that's why I'm glad that Serena is willing to share her story today. We offered a prayer, and our prayers this podcast will be helpful for you. Is that okay for an introduction, Serena? Absolutely, thanks. And so I'll just kind of turn it over to you to share your journey as a transgender Latter-day Saint. So my story is still troubling even to me. It bothers me in some ways because I think to myself about challenges I faced and missed opportunities and ways that I fell short in my life that I could have helped myself so much more earlier on in my life. Um, start to, to being born in Michigan and I was not born in the church. As I was growing up, I had challenges like many other children, but for the first few years, I just could not really put my finger on what my challenges were. I'm a child of the 80s and 90s, and so there was not a whole lot of ability to explore uh, what was going on. Uh, When I knew that there was something off, I didn't have the language to really discuss it. I grew up Methodist, and my mom took me to church through middle school, so I was um, in a church, even if I was not in the church, even as a small child. Uh, When I got to high school, I felt like things started to click into place a bit, but unfortunately, when they were clicking into place, they were pointing at something I was not able to really admit or wanting to accept that I was not the correct gender. I personally had absorbed a lot of anti-transgender messages in my own life, and I had internalized them. I knew that if I would have even acknowledged this about myself, that there would have been really, really big problems, or at least I feel like there would have been. 
I knew full well how transgender people were treated back then, and I really did not feel like I had the strength to subject myself to such a challenging life. At that time as well, I met my future spouse when I was 16. She introduced me to the Book of Mormon, and I read it. I, I remember specifically her asking me about whether or not I thought it was true, and I still wasn't sure because I did not know. Um, she left the room and asked me to pray, and so I sat there a couple seconds, and I prayed to receive any sort of communication, any sort of sign from the Spirit. And I felt very impressed to go to a different room in my house. And I was shocked, and she was right there. It just so happened to be the room that she was in was the one I was guided to. Uh, Knowing that I was able to receive the spirits and that it would help guide me, help me go forward to starting to learn more about the, the, the Mormon church. I took the discussions in high school, and I ended up becoming being baptized at 19, at missionary age. But um, it was in the summer of my freshman year of college, and so I wasn't really able to serve a mission. But this also meant that I didn't really ever engage in the church as a child. I never did primary or young men's, or advancing through the priesthood, for instance. Uh, Our courtship was about four years long, and we married in 2001 in a civil ceremony. Uh, About two years later, uh, we were sealed in the temple, uh, along with our two children. At the time, our two um, very, very small infants. Um, At that point, I was in the church, and there there are many things I enjoy about the church. One of the things that challenged me about the church, though, was that the priesthood existed and asked me to serve consistently as a priesthood holder. I never really felt like I did a good job of being a priesthood holder. That um, it just it felt very difficult for me to quote unquote exercise the priesthood. But the church always kept saying consistently that I needed to press forward and press forward and that this is the this, this is the responsibility that all males held in the church. I didn't bank on the fact that if I didn't come to an acceptance of myself back in my earlier years, that this meant that I had to cope with myself throughout the, the remaining years of my life. I did everything I could to cope to the point of burying as much as I possibly could about myself through the years that followed. I didn't take care of myself in positive ways. I allowed myself to overeat. I allowed myself to not exercise. I stayed up at nights. But to not think about my problem, I stayed up to engage myself in, in reading and gaming and the occasional writing but just to kind of relax, try to remove what tension I would get in a day. And there was always, always tension that would end up happening throughout a day. By making that bargain back in high school of not really wanting to acknowledge myself, 
I did not realize that it would take so much of my strength just to keep moving forward in, in my life. At that point, I was married. I was a single income earner. I um, had a growing family. Um, the last thing I wanted to be or acknowledge was being transgender. And so many reasons to try to push forward. And I kept going in the path of, of trying to keep my head in the sand. And it really became difficult. Outside of me as well, um, the discussion surrounding transgender persons was still really toxic um, all the way through the 90s, into the first decade of the 2000s, and even the first few years of the 2010s. I started taking care of myself about five or six years ago, and it was through losing weight and becoming healthier. Once this happened, I could tell that other things were still problematic. And I returned to what I ended up learning was dysphoria. It had always been there throughout all the years, but I never wanted to acknowledge it. So very slowly, I started to give into it in in ways to find myself closer to being female. Because that felt like comfort to me. I grew up my hair. I started wearing feminine articles of clothing. I started shaving my legs. I started painting my nails. Uh, Each of these was an individual step, but as I took them, thankfully they helped, even if it was a small amount. And as I thought about it, I realized that I didn't want to stop doing them. If anybody had ever asked me and said, well, you know what you need to do you need to get get a haircut. There would have to be a very, very, very good reason for me to, to want to do that for myself. And one never showed up. I really started to realize at that point that I had to... I really had to try to come to an understanding of myself rather than continually just suppressing myself. And that suppression was leading me into a place that I'm really scared of, honestly. It came to a head about a year and a half ago. I had never really wanted to engage a therapist, but I finally decided that I needed to talk to someone about this because I needed to get to the bottom of this. The therapist assisted me, and within the first visit, I came to an understanding of myself And by the second visit, as I was on the couch crying tears, my therapist asked me why I felt this way. And I told her that I was finally meeting myself and accepting myself for the very first time in my life. I told my spouse the next day after I'd come to this conclusion, I knew that there was going to be a lot of fallout with this. And the longer that I kept it from her, that she would feel worse and worse about it. And so... Very, very soon after coming to that acceptance of myself, I spoke to her as well. Um, I came out to myself in November of 2019, and she learned very, very soon thereafter. For a couple months, I decided what that meant to me. And based on my earlier conclusions, uh, especially my multiple years of experimentation, I, I realized that I needed a fully transition 
within the next few months, I started on socially transitioning and came out to my family and friends and work. I am really thankful for my patient wife who has done so much to learn to cope and accept and help me on my path. My parents and sister allowed me to reestablish relationships with them that I could never bring myself to keep before I came out because I was always very, very tightly emotionally controlled and I felt like I always had to keep myself bottled inside. My children as well have done so much to accept me and help me and um, and work has has been amazing in accommodating me and, and my transition and my pathway. I'm pending my hearing for my legal name change in less than a month's time, and I started my medical transition as well. I've been amazed at my own change of outlook on life. It's been really hard to try to fight something that you don't know the enormity of, and I could never figure out a way to succeed in these challenges. I am finally succeeding at being me and finding all of the parts of who I really am. And I'm looking forward to the future in ways that I never thought I could. Thanks for telling us a little bit about your journey, Serena. And I wish everybody could see you on the screen. You're a beautiful woman. You, you've got a great smile on your face. You've got a great look about yourself. And I sense you're at peace with who you are. Um, but it's it's a road as everybody else kind of navigates this. It's the new reality. It's this thing you've been keeping in inside of yourself that you knew at some point you couldn't, so you needed to talk about it. Often a therapist is helpful to give people the tools and sometimes permission to talk about this and how to keep the family circle together with the new reality. Do you want to talk about, for people... Uh, listeners, I think you know that I use the word cisgender. Will you define just cisgender and 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 then help us understand any metaphors or any examples you want to use to help people understand what it feels like to be transgender? Absolutely. Um, let me go back for one second to you talking about therapy. Good. Um, I definitely want to encourage any of your listeners. For, for for quite a long time, I had a stigma around therapy. I didn't want to touch it because I was on, I was I was both afraid of what it might end up showing me, and I also felt that as at the time presenting as male, I felt that it was beneath me too. It's I'm I'm I'm, I'm male. I'm strong. I should be able to bear up. And then on top of that, there's also the stigma of of thinking yourself, well, I must be crazy to have to go to a therapist. I really want your your listeners to know that getting mental therapy is not something to be embarrassed about. It is something that is incredibly helpful. If you need help in your life, you need to reach out for that help. It's so important. And I realize that it might be difficult. This this path I'm on is, is not the easiest of paths in the world. But being on a difficult path does not mean that it's it's um it, it, it's it's something to want to be on. It's it, having challenges in your life is helpful. It's very helpful. And so, um, please, last note: even if it's even if it's a church one, even if it's someone else, but but if you have the opportunity to get yourself to to someone who can listen to you, it is so helpful. So, um, speaking of metaphors, um, I was. Um, 
sitting and thinking about my situation. And the metaphor that I, I came across was um, having a neighborhood of houses and seeing a neighbor um, paint their house. Um, it could be a pink color. It could be, heaven forbid, polka dot. It could be something that you have no idea what it is, but you can definitely tell from the outside that they painted this house. And now it looks strange. At first, you might even think it looks terrible because it doesn't fit with all of the other houses. The neighborhood is so uniform and now it's, it's not uniform anymore. Um, <clears throat> on top of that, you don't even know why this person decided to paint their house. You have no idea. And it's their house. You can't change the fact that it's their house. You're a neighbor, and obviously you might think to yourself, well, it, it, it impacts our property values. I can't imagine what my relatives or friends might think when they come to see this thing. But it wasn't your decision. And even when your friends and, 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 and relatives come and see the house, that's no bearing on you. Your house, your house is your house. It can be whatever you want it to be. But this other house in the neighborhood, it's their choice, and, and they need it to be a certain way. Um, if you're willing to open your mind and your heart to think about it, it could be that this house ends up making your neighborhood a landmark, and it, it may end up bringing more people around, too. Um, it could be that it encourages others to express themselves in ways that they never thought that they could express themselves in, even if they're small scale. I mean, they could decide to put up a little yard art. They could decide to put up a wall for, for painting or art or graffiti or anything else. It might change your neighborhood. And it, you might think that it, it might change your neighborhood for the worse in the short term. But as time goes by, it's something that can be acceptable if you are willing to let it be acceptable. If you really need to find a new neighborhood to be in, that's also your choice. And sad but true, um, bringing variety to neighborhoods is what's necessary. And you could be the variety in that neighborhood too, even if you happen to be someone who is more conservative, even if you happen to be someone who likes a house that's painted just a neutral color. It's, it's okay to have a neighborhood of people who have different tastes, different styles, different outlooks on life. Um, I came across this metaphor as I was thinking about the fact that in one of the many places I lived in, in a little town in Wisconsin, there was a house and it literally was painted pink. And every single time you, you drove along a road, you would see this house. It was right behind a park and, and it was pretty visible because it was pretty bright. Um, what kind of interested me after a while was the fact that it literally faded. It faded into a more, um, I don't want to call it uh, acceptable color, but it certainly faded from the bright um, eye-catching pink that it used to be into a more muted but still pink color. And so you might find, um, especially relating it to transgender people or LGBTQ people in general, that's at first, yeah, it's a shock. It's going to be eye-catching, so to speak. It's going to draw your attention. But after a while, it's it's just going to be a part of the neighborhood. And it's an, it's an okay part of the neighborhood. And it's a part of the neighborhood that clearly there's still people there. And there's people that have absolutely accepted that pink house. I spoke to a friend of mine, a dear friend of mine, um, 
who um, she's been an amazing um, help on my journey as far as talking with um, talking about transgender things. And her name is Kenzie. And she talked to me about another quick story, which may or may not help, of a place in California that um, was restaurants that they ended up having a letter written about them. They had painted their restaurants a very distinctive green color. And being a restaurant, it's a place of business. So obviously, people have even more of, a, of, a, of an ability to affect whether or not a restaurant stays in the neighborhood. So this person decided to write a letter to the restaurant and said, this, this place looks terrible. I'm never going to come to this restaurant because I just cannot deal with the color. And it, it makes the neighborhood look terrible. And so um, the way the story goes is the restaurant owner literally um, posted this note on a, in, in a glass box, like where you would effectively expect a menu to be. And the people that wait in the line around the restaurant outside to get into the restaurant to eat the food can read the letter to realize that this one person decided that because the color of the restaurant was terrible, that they would never have the food inside. And the food is clearly good enough for them to stay in business in that neighborhood. And so, in essence, um, I hope that even though I might have painted my house in a, in, a, in a manner that others might not be willing to um, willing to stomach, so to speak, that they can still get to know me and get to know that I'm a good person. And as crass as it sounds, try to sample the food, so to speak. I'm, 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 a, I'm a really nice person, I promise. I love that <clears throat> analogy. I think analogies have the power, Serena, to teach and give perspective. And Christ did a lot of that in his ministry. Um, I'd love you to talk about opinions, old opinions that perhaps we should set aside as we're learning about transgender people or any other thoughts you have about opinions. Sure. So um, over the years, and, and I think this is the biggest reason why in my story, I was telling you that I had a hard time even accepting this about myself. For, for many years, um, growing up in the 80s and 90s. And uh, heaven knows that there's um, citizens, people, um, even members of the church, obviously. Um, they're all of older generations, too. And um, many older generations were presented a picture of transgender folks and of LGBTQ folks that um, was very often not flattering because... LGBTQ folks did not have any real ability to control how they were being perceived, especially when it came to media, when it came to news stories, when it came to telling stories. Having a podcast like this has been amazing because I can literally come on it and, and talk about my story. You've had other transgender people who have come on here and tell, told their stories too, as well as their relatives too. And that's, that's huge. It's sad that for so many years that um, <clears throat> when people think of LGBTQ and especially transgender, especially since transgender is so visually arresting, it's, it's very obvious in many cases. Um, the for instance is, and if you give me two seconds, <sighs> about two years ago, I used to talk like this. And it takes a while just to even get a voice changed, much less anything else. And so if you were to look at me and hear this voice, obviously there's 
there's going to be a disconnect. It's, it's, a, it's a startling disconnect. And so as, as I go through life and as I try to make sure that I'm even attempting to present a unified picture, I realize that there's so many that can't. And that unified picture even is, 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 is a challenge for people. When, when they see aspects of a person, they say, this aspect is, is this way and this aspect is this way, but then this aspect tells me something 100% different. It's, it's a challenge. It's, it's that um, inability to match patterns. We are, we are a very patterned species. We have lawns that are... And we, we mow them with lawnmowers and we do it in straight lines. And so people seeking patterns and then they come across somebody like me, they're going to get confused and then they're going to get scared because of confusion, even if it's not me doing the scaring per se. And so, yes, I realize that for cisgender folks, it's a challenge. It's a, mass, it's a massive challenge. They've been taught so many things over so many years and they have this, this dichotomy of, of what they're seeing and they have to match that up and line that up in their minds. My hope is that um, people can find it in their hearts to just allow other people to be. Um, getting back to the, the, the house analogy, my house is painted differently. And I know my house is painted differently. You don't have to tell me. But... In, in, in the quote-unquote neighborhood, I hope that I am someone who is, is, is welcome. Um, in First Nephi, the very, very first thing you read about Nephi is that he's been born of goodly parents and that he was taught somewhat in all the learning of his, his, of his father. We're taught in the learning of our fathers because obviously we can't learn things that haven't been learned yet. And 11 chapters later, 1 Nephi eleven seventeen, And I said unto him, I know that he loveth his children. Nevertheless, I do not know the meaning of all things. Lehi was a very wise person. And he taught Nephi. And Nephi yet still knew and realized that he did not know all things. I hope that in this world, it's realized that we still do not know all things. That we can grow from where we were when I was um, a child in the 80s and 90s um, up through 2021 and up through beyond because I hope that we still learn things about people that may surprise us. They may, may be outside the pattern, but it's okay because then we can create a new pattern. Um, in baseball fields, it's amazing because um, previously, and I, I brought up the lawn analogy because of this, when you see a baseball field, and you see the, the, the awesome designs that they can literally cut into the outfield grass. They cut in the, the logos of the teams. They cut in um, the various different patterns. And it's brought so much, um, at least as far as someone who has an eye for, for, for beauty, I think it's brought some, some enjoyment to watching, watching baseball, even if it's a small amount of enjoyment. And so the, the hope is that maybe we can learn different patterns. I did have one other scripture, and um, what's funny is the fact that um, as I was reading scriptures, uh, James 1.5 is one that I'm fairly sure almost every single Mormon can, every single LDS person can rattle off in their heads. 
does anyone know what James 1, 2 through 4 say? It says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that testing, that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. We need to persevere. It's persistence in doing something despite difficulty or delay in achieving success. And the hope is that we persevere in trying to open our hearts to other people, in trying to open our minds to the Spirit, because I certainly feel that the Spirit has told me that I am I'm pushing on my right and correct path. And I hope that I can receive some forbearance from my brothers and sisters as, as they see me pushing on my path. You're very good at sharing your story, Serena, and, and I love the scriptures that you shared and the insights. And will you talk about you and your wife, your spouse, um, have been married nearly 20 years, and I sense want to keep this marriage together. And as you knew when you were coming out and you knew this, at least in the short term, would complicate your marriage. Um, will you talk just to other couples where one is transgender, the things you're doing to keep your marriage together and any advice you have for other couples that are trying to keep their marriage together? This has been an amazing challenge. Um, the one thing that I wanted to do um, very, I mean, as immediately as possible was to communicate with her. And I realized that there are still times that there's something going on in myself that it's like, I, I say to myself, this might be a challenge for her to deal with, especially if I, if I speak my mind because she's working through her own challenges. We have a temple ceiling. And um, many times over, we discussed the idea that we would be together in the eternities. Um, that does not mean that we have um, certainly seen our, our challenges from it, through it, or with it. One of the things that I said to her at the very beginning of all of this was the idea that I would accept her wishes, that there are many levels of what relationships are in life. Obviously, the very first level is to not have one. <laughs> but there's also friendship. There's love. There's marriage. There's intimacy. I said to her, you have your choice as to what you will accept from me. And I offer as many of them as you're willing to receive. We, um, very early in the process, um, my own therapist had said to me, um, <clears throat> you need to take this day by day. Um, as I will probably speak to a, a little bit later too, that means my transition and that means my relationship. And my transition has been a challenge too, because obviously I want to be done with it. It's it's difficult being in a, a middle ground, so to speak. But as far as, as she and I go, um, with um, day-to-day, that means that as long as things 
things might be terrible one day. They might be, and you have to give yourself forgiveness and you have to give yourself patience because they might be terrible. If there's many days that kind of pile up and then you kind of realize, well, I need to be in a different spot. That was, that was my, um, my process for transitioning myself was the realization that there were so many things that were wrong and so many days that were piling up that were just not working out. And I mean, there's, there's, there's no judgment on my side as far as how relationships may change, how relationships may um, adapt throughout the years. My hope is that anybody who is traveling this road um, gives themselves patience and forgiveness to realize that relationships change. It's not a bad thing. It's, it's definitely something that involves grief. It's definitely something that involves change. It's definitely something that involves growth. Growth is difficult. It's always difficult. But again, I, life is, is difficult itself. And I hope that we find enough in this life that we want to keep going forward and to do the things that we're called to do. It's a really thoughtful answer. Thank you for answering that question. Talk about your local ward, how they're supporting you. This is kind of you talking to other local wards or local leaders, um, bishops, Relief Society presidents, elders, quorum presidents, when they have a transgender Latter-day Saint. Your ward may not be perfect and your leaders may not always be perfect, but I sense from our communication that they've done a pretty good job. Um, but just share with us a little bit about that part of the story. Absolutely. Um, so one of my wife's uh, supports uh, very early on was um, a former uh, really society president. And so um, with, with my approval, you know, she had asked me, um, am I able to speak with other people? I want to um, ensure and, and let people know that she's been an amazing person on this journey, both my wife and this, this former Relief Society president. Um, through there, um, our bishop ended up um, receiving knowledge. And it was the end of February, it was before I came out, um, that he sat us both down, myself and my wife, and he discussed what this meant. Um, he was very sensitive. He did not, I did not feel like he was judging me. That's a big piece of, 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 of the, the puzzle, so to speak, is that if, if you feel like you're sitting down in front of somebody who is judging you, you are far less likely to be open. You're far less likely to be willing to stay there. And that includes even words, and that includes people, much less leadership. Um, we talked about what it meant. He did speak to me as far as what it said in, in the manual, because the manual had just been changed, just been changed at that point. It was the end of February in 2020. And um, he counseled me with what leadership said. He said, well, leadership does not suggest that you transition. And I said, well, thank you for, thank you for your counsel. Um, I was as respectful as, as, as could be myself. And um I realized that that's, that's what our current church leadership says. So um, his statement to us, which has been an amazing statement, was that we were still welcome in the ward, no matter what. He um, 
discussed accommodations, which was pleasant of him. Um, and then he said to us that if we had ever had any issues with any members within the ward, that we need to speak with him discreetly. And then he would just speak with them discreetly, which is an amazing, amazing offering. Because obviously he does not have to intercede on my behalf, but the fact that he's willing to do so is is very, very good. It, it makes me feel like I'm wanted and needed there in the ward. Um, we had subsequent com uh, communications. Um, he and his wife have spent time with us, even, even during the depths of, of COVID pandemic. Um, we were also assigned um, a partnership uh, teachers, um, a brother and a sister, so that we have um, teaching in the home and supports. And um, it's the communications that I've had with him have been really good. I, I have always made sure to tell him that I'm not here to be a political issue. I'm not here to be a crowbar. I'm not here to force wide open the doors of release society or to make myself um, in any way someone who is disinviting the spirits. That's not what I'm there at church for. I'm, I'm there at church to find the spirit. I'm there at church to communicate with Heavenly Father and to receive comfort because my path is not easy. And um, and sure enough, I mean, there's still challenges with the Lord, but all things considered, um, I feel welcome there. And I feel happy to be there. And that's why I'm still there. There's many people who do not share this path and my heart goes out to them because they may still even believe in the tenets of the church, but for whatever reason, they and, and the local ward just were not able to be compatible. And it's, it's sad. That's a good, really good segment. <clears throat> a thought came to my mind as the bishop went through the handbook, and I, I think that's an appropriate thing for a bishop to do, obviously, is to communicate to ward members the handbook and being a transgender Latter-day Saint to understand the church's position. And you recognized that you wanted to take some things outside of the recommended handbook path. But that didn't mean he then felt you shouldn't feel welcome at church. He didn't create a false dichotomy that somehow now you shouldn't feel welcome at church or you're not included or my whole relationship with you is about making you handbook compliance. So just making up terms here. But he was able to hold both thoughts in his brain and the ward could hold both thoughts. It's really not, you know, I, there's probably a, all of us that sometimes are not handbook compliance, Serena. <laughs> um, all of us aren't in the congregation, aren't following everything in the handbook where it's a work in process, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't feel welcome at church. So I love that... Um, because I think that's what Christ did and what our leaders are teaching is everybody should feel welcome in the congregation. Um, to me, the gate is wide at the congregation. Everybody should feel welcome. Everybody should feel the Spirit. It's not a narrowing of the gate. The narrowing of the gate occurs at the temple where there's a belief hurdle and a behavior hurdle. But at the congregation, there's not any of those hurdles. And I like the way you even framed up that I want to feel the Spirit. I'm not a, this isn't a political issue where I'm trying to 
blow open the doors of the society. You kind of, I, that's not quite the term you use, but I think our listeners understand. You just, this is your spiritual home. This is where you feel the spirit. We all need a ward family to feel welcome and kind of meet us where we are and create a judgment-free zone. I love this quote from Elder um, Uchtdor from his April 2013 talk called Four Titles. Um, Sometimes we confuse differences in personality with sin. We may, may, we may even make the mistake of thinking because someone is different from us, it means they are not pleasing to God. And I just think sometimes we look at our transgender friends and, and we just see difference there, like the pink house you're talking about, and we incorrectly conclude that that person is not pleasing to God or because that lived experience a little different than mine or maybe makes me feel uncomfortable, then Satan's somehow behind that pink house <laughs> and that difference is. And I'm going to read one more quote. Um, this is um, in the book, listeners, and also something I share. It's from a mother of, it's a Ward Release Society teacher who has a transgender child. And the title of the quote is, Satan Wants to Destroy Us. Then she pivots, quote, I don't believe Satan's work is to deceive people in being, into being LGBTQ. Instead, he takes these precious children of God and tells them they are worthless. He tells them there's no place for them in God's plan. He tells them God no longer loves them. He resides in their shame. Satan also resides in our fears, knowing our fears will hinder our ability to truly love. His goal is to tell our families apart and drive people away from the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is succeeding, not because this group has been deceived and are now gay or trans. He is succeeding because he is keeping us from coming together as the body of Christ and loving with pure Christ-like love. We could do better to help heal those members who are hurting and feel they have no place with us. Each member is vital. Without them, we cannot function as a church to its fullest potential. The answer is to overcome Satan, strengthening our family and being people bringing people to Christ is love. And I love, end quote, and I love what your ward family is doing for the most part for you and your wife and your family. And, um, and I, listeners, I, and I'm going to turn it back to Serena. When I wrote this book, Listen, Learn, and Love, Embracing LGBTQ Saturday, Latter-day Saints, the only chapter I dedicated to one sort of letter on this, um, or one group is Transgender Latter-day Saints. It's chapter eight. And I feel like sometimes those, your story, Serena, gets kind of, when we start talking about LGBT, we talk about gay people first, gay men maybe first, and then gay women. And we and for me, it took a while for me, even as I was learning about that group to understand transgender people. And I realized that's a completely different, as you know, a completely different journey and story. And I wanted in this book to make sure that we focused on transgender people and how unique that experience is. And, and so that chapter is in the book, listeners. I encourage you to read it. It's my very best effort to try to bring understanding. But I believe, um, as I shared in this chapter, we're, we're sort of at the beginning stages of learning something that's new. And often that's been part of history as we're exposed to something new for the first time. And it takes a lot of humility to sort of say, I'm going to not decide about this group of people until I meet this group of people and really listen to their stories. 
And that's why I'm so glad you're on the podcast. Um, one last thought, and then I will turn it back to you. I think of Matthew 25, listeners, and I think of um, verse 36, and I'm going to read a few verses here. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came unto me. Um, thirsty and you gave me drink. I just read part of 37. Then saw ye the stranger and took thee in, or naked and you clothed me. Or when you saw the sick person or in prison and came unto me, and the king shall answer unto them, saying, Verily unto you, inasmuch as ye have done it unto the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. And I'd add sister in there, or sisters. And I just think there's a doctrinal foundation, listeners, that we look at the groups that have the hardest road in society, that are on the margins and the least understood. And if we love those people, and we hear their stories, and we help them feel welcome in our congregation, then we are doing exactly what Christ would want us to do. And it's our physical manifestation of following Him and loving Him. We can't sit next to Christ we, in our congregation. We can't feed Him. But the way we treat people like our transgender friends to me, is a sign of honoring our baptism covenants, and many in Serena's ward and circle are doing that. And to me, you're you're doing exactly what our doctrine teaches. And um, so now I'm going to turn it back to you, Serena. I don't know if you have any comments, anything I said, or I'd love you to talk about this idea of giving, creating more space for LGBTQ people. Absolutely. Um... The first piece I, I, I definitely want to touch on is, is, is the idea of shame. Um, shame is what kept me not only closeted, but deeply closeted because as, as I even I spoke with my spouse, there were more than a few times, even when I was younger, it's, um, that, that I, I came to myself and would think to myself, am I really not even male? And the shame of, of, of just even saying those things back in those days was too much for me to even contemplate. It was, it was terrible. And it, it, it absolutely resulted in, in quite a lot of coping and it resulted in some trauma that I'm still trying to work through with my own therapist. Um, <laughs> this is something that has taken many, many years for me to deal with. And so I hope, I hope that we can get to a point where Shame is minimized, I guess. It's, I mean, humans are always going to have emotions, and shame is definitely one of them. But the external piece of it, the community piece of it, the fact that when you when you raise your hand up and say, I have a problem, no matter how large, that the community is willing to come together and say, that's not a problem, that's you. And you you get to be yourself. You deserve to be yourself. Um, as far as the community goes, and I definitely don't want to um, speak ill of, of the LDS Church. Um, I hope that as more people come to an understanding of what gender dysphoria is and a, uh, uh, an understanding of what gender euphoria is, um, whether or not a picture ever gets posted of, of myself doing this interview, I feel happy with the way I look. I feel very happy to be in public looking like this. 
most people would not feel happy about this. If, if I were to ask Richard to step outside wearing what I'm wearing, he would not be very grateful to do so. There is such a thing as gender dysphoria. It's, it's, it's a challenge. And there's such a thing as gender euphoria. I am, I am happy. I feel whole being able to look like this and being able to present myself like this and having people literally look at me and say my name, Serena, and use my pronouns, which are she, her. When you do that for another transgender person, you are giving them euphoria. You are giving them space in this world. It's so important because you give space to so many other people. Um, my parents being Methodist, my sister is um, unaffiliated with the church. And um, I will not and shall not draw any direct lines between whether or not they offered acceptance to me or not because of that fact. However, they offered acceptance to me immediately. That is so important. And I hope that anyone within this church will subscribe to the idea that Jesus says to love one another, especially as people do come out. I am very lucky in that I have a career. As I've spoken to Richard, I am embarking on a second career at the same time as keeping my first. Not too many transgender people get to do this whatsoever, especially transgender people who are so early on the path as I am. Um, I can absolutely point to, uh, to places where people have lost their jobs because of purely just being transgender, which is sad, but it still happens. There are not too many people who are transgender in general anyway, but uh, there are very few people who are transmasculine and transitioning later in life, uh, where they are transitioning from female to male. Uh, as well, there are very few people who are able to say that they're transitioning to non-binary later in life. Other few people face even greater challenges or a feeling if they're no gender or being born intersex or having to face that challenge throughout their life, etc. This issue can be so difficult for people. There's so many challenges in the process of transition, and I'm really, truly one of the lucky ones who can do this. Uh, the number of challenges that others have to face for coming out are really huge, and many may feel they can't because of these obstacles. There's unsupportive workplaces, uh, unsupportive family, whether or not they may feel that their community at large will not be receptive to them either. They all deserve love and support as they find their way in life too. So they are our siblings and spirit children of a, a Heavenly Father. I hope that our community can find a way to support all of these people. No one's ever used this term gender euphoria. I love that. I love the smile on your face. When we post this on Facebook, we will include a picture of you. Um, but I love that term gender euphoria. Um, we're here on the earth to be happy. We're here on the earth to have joy. And when I see you and hear you and hear your voice and hear your story, I can tell how happy you are um, that this dysphoria that I've learned is real. I explain it as car sickness, and we all can relate to being car sick, and then we want to get out of the car to solve that. But it's almost like explaining car sickness to somebody in the 14th century that didn't even know what cars were. And so, 
I, I realize this is real. I don't experience any of it, but I just listening to your story and hearing the emotional challenges and often the suicide feelings and this long-term dysphoria. And then the transition is not a sign of rebellion. It's not a sign of Satan confusing you. It's just a sign of wanting to live. And I love this euphoria you feel as this this misalignment that's been part of your life for a long time is over or is becoming over. And so that makes me happy. And I love the way you talk about that. And I love the way you talk about how it means so much to you to be called she and her and Serena. And for those that are cisgender, that's just something we've, that's just something that's happened for us our whole life. We have no ability to relate to how healing that would be to Serena to finally hear her called by her correct pronouns. Um, there's an article in the January on LDS.org in the January 2021. It's by Tracy Browning of the Relief Society General Board. And the title of the article is just Including Everybody. And in this article, she talks a lot about the feeling that belonging is that everybody needs to feel. Um, in fact, she says, creating belonging for everyone is part of our covenant keeping. At baptism, we promise we won't let anyone suffer alone, but we'll mourn with them and comfort them and bear their burdens. Creating belonging is part of our church. We are to include everyone in our worship, just as the Savior welcomes everyone to partake of a, our salvation. Creating belonging is an essential part of our journey to become like the Savior, loving others and opening our circles to include those who are different from us is part of becoming perfect. So listeners, I've learned in my life, it's really easy to create belonging for people that are a lot like me, that have the same political views, that have the same worldviews, that have the same feelings about the church, that are my same race, um, that are straight and cisgender. But when I really want to live the gospel of Jesus Christ, I do what this sister says in her article and what Serena's teaching us is I create belonging for people that are different than me. And I'm willing to to sort of hear people's stories that are different from me, so I've developed the tools on how to help a transgender Latter-day Saint feel welcome and that I will know to say and do the right thing so that person sitting next to me will feel welcome. And it is part of our baptism covenants, and I think it's part of becoming a holier healthier, living a higher, holier law as a people to help everybody feel welcome at church, not just the people that are just like us. More, th- more thoughts you'd like to share, Serena? Feeling belonging is, is, is very, very important. And um, the challenge is the fact that it took me a long time even to want to reach out. It really did. I... Oftentimes, we'll use another analogy, um, and that of effectively having to lock myself in my head as a prisoner. Um, my, my real me was, was kind of behind bars. And I had to develop um, a sort of outward representative so that I could move around in the world and so that I could find companionship, so I could find employment, so I could effectively exist. And so um, 
it's challenging. It's challenging so much to realize that there are people in this world that are walking around very much similar. That they're also effectively putting themselves behind walls. We, we erect walls all the time around our, our own selves for shame, for other reasons too. And so um, it's, it's, been, it's been difficult, obviously. Um, learning, because um, I definitely did not learn the lessons that I needed to learn as far as moving around in this world as a female, um, especially when I was younger. And as a result, I have to give myself, again, so much forgiveness. Um, but um, breaking out of a prison, being able to finally relate to people with my whole self has been very liberating. And I hope that as you see more people who are finally breaking out of their own shells, finally able to free themselves from the chains in their own mind, that you reach out to them, that you let them know that they do belong. I love that. Anything else you'd like to share in conclusion, Serena? I would like to share that I am very happy to have this platform. Um, I am very, very thankful for the blessings that I receive. I'm very, very thankful for my amazing spouse who has walked along this path with me and who I definitely want to sing praises to the heavens. Um, there's very, very few spirits who have shown the patience and forbearance that, that I've seen from her. Um, I want to thank my Ward family too for doing the best they can under difficult circumstances. And I want to thank you as well for, for giving me time. You're great. Is anything, if people want to contact you, what's the best way for them to contact you, Serena? So, um, I, my, my, my one main project in, in, in this realm is I have a writing project on Medium. Good. Where I post um, interviews with other transgender folks. It is at VOP for Voices of Purpose, Serena, all one word, VOP, S-E-R-E-N-A, dot medium, dot com. Um, for a while, I was able to keep it as about a weekly um, posting. At this point, now that I have two jobs, I am doing the best I can <laughs> to try to keep things going. But um, the point there is, is this way you can learn other stories too. Um, <clears throat> as you may or may not note, I have my own dysphoria when it comes to my voice. And having spaces to have interviews like this is great. The challenge, though, is especially with transgender folks, the voice is, is a very important thing to them because it's how you literally interact with the, with the world around you on a daily basis. And so hearing their written words or reading their written words is so much more important to them because then they don't have to give you that pattern dissonance that I discussed earlier. Um, I am also available at lcbtradesolution at gmail.com. If you want to talk to me, if you want to discuss your path, if you need to have someone to listen, because 
there have been many people on my own path that if they were not around for me to <clears throat> talk in times of trouble, I would have had a harder time too. And so I want to thank Val Valerie Green as well, um, as well as, as um, many others in our group, because they have been amazing, amazing people who have helped me in my times of need. And um, building a community, I, I don't I don't define myself 100% as transgender woman, but having a community of people who, who know my challenges has been helpful. It really has. Um, you're awesome, Serena. Um, we've had a range of guests that experience gender dysphoria. You can go to listenlearnandlove.org. Um, on top of that page is a link to podcasts, and within that um, is a landing page for gender dysphoria, transgender um, podcasts. And there's a range of experiences. I've learned that gender dysphoria is real and how people handle that is very personal to them. And I think Serena and I both would say, don't take one story and make it your story, but listen to a, a bunch of stories to know the very best way for you. And also talking to loved ones in your life, therapists, local leaders, to know how best to deal with the gender dysphoria. And I think making an informed, educated decision by listening to a lot of stories helps you. And there's, and I, do, I wrote this in the book, I don't want people to think that everybody needs to fully transition to be an authentic transgender person. I think it's very personal um, and we shouldn't judge people based on how little or how much transitioning they do. I just think we need to support people in their individual journey and help them to receive personal revelation and not necessarily just always listen to society voices on how best to do this. And I think, Serena, you've done a great job of just doing this um, the very best way you know how. And um, yes. listeners, we will link to... Um, Serena's median page. Um, so that'll be a link. And we'll also um, add her email potentially to the pod show notes so people can contact Serena and, and she can continue to help people. So um, this thank you, Serena. There's just a wonderful goodness and spirit about you. And I wish our listeners could see you visually because just a wonderful woman and you have a wonderful life ahead of you. And you've navigated really complicated things in a wonderful way. So this is um, will be Richard Osler and Serena Jameson signing off on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. <laughs>